Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. I want you to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. We're going to start there and, and move move forward from there. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 7. I've been uh, kind of salt and pepper in this for the past several weeks in messages, and um, but it's something that the Lord has just really, really dealt with me strongly on uh, since, uh, I guess since around Thanksgiving or something, so... Um, and I wanted tonight to uh, share it, and and because it's so important that we understand uh, uh, what what we're going to talk about tonight, and I and I'm going to talk about uh, the body, soul, and spirit again. And like I said, you've heard this a little bit, but I'm going to try to zero in on some things tonight that I think that will help us if 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 you need help, okay? So in Genesis chapter 2 and uh, beginning with verse 7, I'm just going to read uh, that one verse and then we're, we're going to talk about some more verses, but I want to read this one verse. Uh, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, and man became uh, a living soul. The reason I wanted to read this is that God formed man, Adam, from the dust of the ground. Uh, he that that word form means that he is like clay, bringing it together, squeezing it out, forming it up, uh, working on it. And God formed the Bible says the man from the dust of the ground. And so what we had talked about last week and and the week before about the the deal with fasting is that the body, mind and your body. Uh, as as uh, as the family of Adam, originating from Adam, we're all formed of the dust of the ground. We're all dust, and when you die, uh, you're going to return to dust. So, uh, in that, the reason that, that we talked about, the reason that I believe the Bible 
focuses on the fact of fasting is to is to uh, refrain from food and food items is that us being formed from the dust of the ground, we have to be sustained physically by earthly things. For example, we have to be sustained by fruits and vegetables and things such as that. And so God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the breath of God represents God's spirit that God breathed into Adam. Uh, Adam, uh, as a result of God breathing into him, Adam was sinless. He knew no sin, and uh, he lived, he and he both lived in the garden, and they were sinless because God had breathed his spirit into them. So therefore, they were without sin. They were not corrupted by sin. Had Satan not come and, and tempted them, they would have continued in that uh, in the way that they were created because they were created to not know sin and they had no sin because God had breathed the breath of life into them. And the Bible says then that man became a living soul. King James Version says that man became a living soul. And so uh, the reason I wanted to read that is you have the, the three parts of man there. You have the body, you have the spirit, and you have the soul. Uh, body, soul, and spirit. And so we understand that because the spirit, the breath of God was breathed into man, that that is the area where man communicates with God. Uh, that is the area that we uh, gain our understanding of God. It's where God comes to communicate with you and I. Uh, and so God doesn't communicate with us uh, through our, our mind, our wills, and our emotions, or our soul. God communicates with us through his spirit. Everything that God does through you flows out of your spirit, out of the spirit of God that he's planted inside of us. So uh, we have the body, we have the spirit, we have the flesh, all right? So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So think about this. God planted a million trees, for example, in the garden. And he said, there's one tree in this garden that I don't want you to touch. I don't want you to mess with it. So, I got it on, baby. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the ball. I got it. Uh, <laughs> so, so, with that, 
God put that one tree there and said, this tree you're not to touch. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so now remember, Adam and Eve have been created. Their, their spirit is pure. They've not known sin, and they've not been affected or infected by sin. And so, so anyway, they've, they're, they're in the garden. They've got everything they need. The only requirement is don't mess with this tree, this tree of, no, of the knowledge of good and evil. But in Genesis chapter 3 is where we see things begin to change. And I want to go through that real quickly. And uh, starting at verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Uh, in other words, he was sneaky. He was, he was subtle. Now, I believe what happened is that, that the serpent uh, had, had become possessed by Satan, and Satan was working through the serpent, all right? So the, uh, the serpent was a tool that the enemy was using to uh, try to get to the creation of God, which was Adam and Eve. So the serpent uh, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I want you to notice that. So the serpent says to, to Eve, did God really say that you're not to eat of any tree in the garden? Notice that word any there. God didn't say you don't eat of any tree, did he? He said don't eat of this one tree. So what the enemy's doing there is he's beginning this process of twisting, manipulating, and, and working around God's word and trying to get it twisted up to bring about confusion in Eve's mind. Eve's response was, she said to the serpent, verse 2, we may eat of the, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was uh, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice in verse 6, that's where we talked about last week about out of 1 John where it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's where that comes from in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, that when Eve saw, she saw with her eyes that the tree was, uh, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, the lust of the flesh, to make one wise. She took of it, uh, of its fruit and ate and gave to her husband. So you have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life right there as well. And verse 7 says, and then the eyes of both, were, of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
All right. Notice this, that Satan questioned, did God actually say that? Did God really say that you're not to eat of any of the trees? And so we know that that wasn't absolutely false, but it wasn't absolutely true. All right? So, uh, and then the uh, serpent said in verse 4, he said, you will not surely die. I was reading that today, and I thought about this, that that was a half-truth as well because Adam and Eve didn't die physically when they ate of the fruit. But what Satan failed to mention, which was his most important thing, was that you're going to die spiritually. So you see, there's the subtlety of the enemy. No, you're not going to die physically. You're not surely going to die. But what he didn't mention was the other side of the billboard. Looks good over here, but what you don't see that the other side of the billboard is blank with spider webs and all that. So he didn't tell them that they were going to die spiritually. And so, uh, and, and then he went on in verse 5, he said, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but I just wanted to read that and, and kind of bring that together because I want us to understand that the enemy's tactics have not changed. He's still doing the same thing, still twisting the Word of God, still manipulating the Word of God, working on the minds of people. Notice something here. Satan worked on Eve's mind. He, he, he caused a question to come up in her mind. Did God really say this? Does this really, is this really what God meant? And so Eve, I believe, began to question the very things that God had plainly said uh, not to do because Satan was manipulating and twisting. And no wonder our world is in our, the religious world is in the mess that it is in where you got so many different beliefs, so many different ideas about what God says. Uh, the church spends more time now debating whether it's right or wrong to drink alcohol or, or whether it's right or wrong to, have, uh, to be homosexual or something like that. Why? Because Satan has twisted the Word of God and manipulated the Word of God. And listen, the enemy can manipulate and twist the Word of God in your life and cause you to think that you're on the right path when all the time you are headed down the wrong path. All right, we're going to see more of that here in just a minute. So in Romans chapter 7 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul said this. Uh, he said, but I see in my members another law that is waging war against the law of my mind. I'm in Romans chapter 7 and verse 23. Another law of my mind that's waging, uh, uh, waging war against the law of my mind, I'm sorry, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, I believe that Paul was talking about that, that there's a war going on in my mind 
there's a war that's being waged. And I believe he was referring to himself before Christ. And I believe he's talking about this thing of sin and this war that rages in the mind. And uh, Paul talked about that the desire of this war is to bring uh, him in captivity to the law of sin that dwells in his members. So that doesn't really, if, if Paul was talking about before Christ, then that's a war that's going on in a sinner's life. But what about the war that goes on in the Christian's life? How many of you will attest or agree that your mind is the biggest battlefield in your life? If you could get your mind right, you could live life pretty good. But there's a battle that goes on in your mind. There's a war that goes on in your mind. And why? Because the mind is kind of, of a, an, an open target. All right? And so uh, there's a war that goes on there. So now remember, I have a body. The body is what you're seeing now. It's maintained by things of the earth. All right? I have a, a spirit, and my spirit is what connects with God. It is my spirit that when I got saved and gave my life to Christ, that old nature that was in me, God took that old nature away and placed within me his Holy Spirit. So I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. And I've said this the other day, God didn't give us a generic form of himself. When Jesus said, uh, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I don't go away, the comforter won't come. And he said, I'm going to send another comforter to you. That word another in the Greek is the word allos, which means exactly the same. So when God puts his spirit in us, it is uncorrupted. It is a sinless spirit of God. You understand that? The Spirit of God that lives inside of you is without sin. All right? The Spirit of God that lives inside of you cannot be corrupted by what you do. Why? Because if it could, it would not be the Spirit of God. Because God knows no sin. God is sinless. God hates sin. So the Spirit that He puts inside of you and I is sinless, all right? So what, even when I mess up, I cannot cause sin to come into my spirit, the spirit of God that lives inside of me, all right? But I have another part, and that is my soul. And my soul contains my mind, my will, and my emotions, all right? So what happens is that there's a war that's going on for my soul. Jesus is already in me. He's already claimed my, my spirit. So his spirit is in me. So I am a born-again Christian, washed in the blood. I am 
I have that treasure living inside of this earthen vessel. All right? But what Satan wants to do is Satan wants to affect my soul because he knows if I can get, if he can get me to live out of my soul and the lust of the flesh, he knows that it will cause the spirit that's inside of me to be dormant and without power and without effect in my life. You see, what a lot of people do is even though you've got the power of Holy Spirit living inside of us, we're still led by the flesh. When we see something, that's how we go. We, we follow what we hear. We follow what we taste. We follow what we see. If, if we see somebody, for example, if we see somebody uh, shouting, then we're going to run to it and say, well, I want that. If, if, we, if we see somebody weeping or crying and, at, at the altar, well, I want that. And we go by what we see instead of being led by our spirit. We're going to get uh, closer to that in a minute. But I want you to understand, and, and the reason I want you to see this is that I was brought up in an atmosphere, not, not my mom and dad necessarily, but a lot of people in the atmosphere that I was brought up in. You're saved today, tomorrow you're going to hell. You're, you're saved today, everything is good today. You, you, you mess up a little bit, you say a, a, a wordy dirt, and, and uh, you have a bad thought, you're no good anymore, you've sinned, you've got to go back and, and get salvation again. And I know, I know there's a lot that might not understand this, but listen, I want to tell you something. The devil has got people today, and the reason they don't know who they are is because they don't know who's inside of them. They don't really realize who is inside of them. And every little mistake, every little fault that you make, the devil says, see, you're not a Christian. You're no good. If you was a Christian, you wouldn't do that. Why would he say that? Because he knows that if you ever come to grips with Holy Spirit that is living inside of you and who he is and who you are, he knows that you're going to wreak havoc on his kingdom. So if he can continue to convince you and I that the least little mistake that we make, God's going to get mad at us and he's going to turn his back on us and not bless us anymore, then what has he done? He has caused us to be a child that is afraid to approach the Father. He's caused us to be children that are, are, that are afraid to ask the Father of anything and to walk in the blessing because we don't feel like that we deserve the blessing of God. When all the time what God is wanting us to understand is, listen, I found you when you were in the, in the gutter. I found you when your life was messed up. I found you when nobody else wanted you. 
I picked you up and pulled you out of your mess. I took that old sin-filled nature of yours and I crucified that and I put my spirit inside of you. And what, what God wants us to realize and understand is that the spirit inside of me needs to feed my mind, my will, and my emotions. I said this several, uh, several times, and uh, I shared this because I'm not, I'm not one. I don't want anybody to ever think that I'm some, some righteous individual here that walks on the clouds all the time and never experiences any struggles and battles. So I share with you how for about three months I went through this depression and, and I just stayed depressed. I prayed. I, I, I studied the Word of God. I would come and preach, and, and God would bless. We would baptize people, and I would see people being set free, lives being changed, and all of that. God working all around me, God moving in the church, people being saved and all that. But I would preach on Sunday morning and walk out after having a powerful service I would walk out, and by that afternoon, I would be depressed. I would be wanting to give up. I'd be wanting to just back away from ministry, and I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand, God, what are you, what is going on in my life? And so I struggled with that for months, even to the point that I told Judy, I said, I'm just so tired of this struggle. I'm so tired of this battle. And, and, uh, I mean, it was, it was a terrible time, and I never dealt with that. And so uh, there came a time that I was in my uh, office, in my shed at home praying, and as I was praying, the Holy Spirit just came to me and said, Who are you? Who are you? And, and I said, I don't really know right now. Who are you? And God began to take me on this journey, not of something new, but God just began to remind me of some things that I had, that I had overlooked. And, and the biggest one was this, that his spirit that lives on the inside of me is not subject to depression. It is not subject to failure. It is not subject to fault. It is not subject to mess up. God's spirit that lives on the inside of me and you cannot be messed up, cannot fall into depression. Why? Because it is the very spirit of God. And God began to speak to my heart. And he said, son, I have, I have brought you through this. He said, I didn't originate this depression. He said, but I'm going to use it to begin to reveal to you some things that I want you to share with your people. I want you to begin to share with them that, uh, that they've got to understand to allow the spirit that's living on the inside of them to begin to affect their mind, their will, and their emotion. He said, and stop allowing what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and what you're feeling to determine whether or not you're born again. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn there in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Now, this is Paul, the apostle, 
that's speaking to the church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth was a church that had many problems, had many issues. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. But I want you to hear what Paul said to them. He said, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. In other words, Paul said, I wish you would bear with me in some craziness. Just please bear with me. He said, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is he's speaking to the Corinthian church. And he's saying, guys, work with me for just a minute. Bear with me for just a minute because I see some things that's going on in the body of believers, and I, I want you to understand that, that when I see this, there's a divine jealousy that rises up in me because I have betrothed you to one husband, which to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In other words, you have been redeemed I have preached the gospel to you. You have been saved and redeemed. You are married to one husband. You are, you are to become that chaste virgin, that pure virgin to Christ. Now look at verse 3. He said, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Let me read that again. So after he said, you know, there's a divine jealousy. You know, it, it would be like this. If I love Brother Jack like a father, a brother, We've, we've, we've walked together, we've served together, uh, we've prayed together, we've shed tears together. I know his relationship with Christ. I know he's a godly man. So I'm standing here, and, and I'm uh, watching Brother Jack, and Brother Jack's kind of drifting away. For example, there's some people perhaps that, that had been coming into Brother Jack's life, maybe coming into his house, knocking on his door, giving him some literature or something. And, and I see Brother Jack as his face is turning toward them. And I know that what they're feeding him is deception. I know that what they're telling him is deception. And I know that it's false doctrine. But yet I'm standing there, and this man that we've served together, we walked together, we prayed together, and all of that, I'm watching this great man of God with so much potential, I'm watching his face turn toward this false doctrine. That's what Paul was talking about in this passage of Scripture that we just read. And now notice verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts 
will be led astray. What's going to be led astray? Your thoughts. Not your spirit's going to be led astray. Not God's going to leave you. But Paul said, I am afraid that your thoughts are going to be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now listen, Paul wasn't writing to people that did not know Christ. He was writing to people that had relationship with Christ. He was writing to people that that knew Christ under the new covenant. And he said, I'm afraid because I'm watching Brother Jack and I'm watching his face turn toward this false doctrine. And I would look at him and say, Brother Jack, I'm concerned that just as Eve was deceived in the garden, that your thoughts are being turned and led astray by this false doctrine. You understand what I'm saying? So why, why am I focusing on that and I'm preaching to the choir tonight? But go out and tell somebody about it. I know that most of us that are sitting in here tonight, you already understand this. So if you, if you understand it and it's boring to you, just bear with me. It'll be over here in just a few minutes. But I'm telling you, there's a battle for your mind because the enemy, that is the only avenue that he has access into your life through. He cannot get into your spirit. If you're a born-again Christian, the enemy cannot come into your body and possess you. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, that is his temple. And there's no room for two in the temple. All right? See, here's, here's the thing. If we, if we could spend more time in teaching people how to fight their battles from their spirit instead of from their eyes or from their ears or from their hands and less time trying to get them back and do the first works over. Well, so-and-so messed up. Well, bring them in. We gotta, we gotta get them delivered again, and got them get, gotta get them resaved. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm telling you guys that that what we as as the church is going into in the future, what we're moving into, what our world is moving into in the future, in the very near future. If the enemy can affect your mind and get you to think or doubt who you are, you better look out. Because we're going into some things that are so deceptive and, and, and uh, the doctrines that, that are being stirred around in our world and our culture and the things that's going on that nobody is seeing that the news uh, agencies are not putting out we're going into some things that are going to change a lot of things. And it is extremely important that the body of Christ begin to realize 
who we are. I've, I've said this before, but I've often thought about what was different about the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, and John, and all of those uh, apostles that would make them lay their very lives down and say, hey, it doesn't matter what you do to this body. I am not going to turn my back on Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do to this body. I am not going to back away from my relationship with God. What, what caused people, what caused them to be able to stand boldly and say, hey, it doesn't matter. Kill this body. It doesn't matter. I think it was because they had the revelation that no matter what you do to this, you can destroy this body, but you can't destroy what's inside. And what's inside of me will cause resurrection to happen if you kill this body. All right? So notice that, that Paul was concerned about the thoughts of the church of Corinth. I'm concerned that just as the enemy deceived Eve in the garden, I see that same deception taking place here. I've been I've been just kind of doing some some flyover studying and and uh, research on the the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, things such as that. Perhaps the chip implant in in a person's hand or their forehead or something like that. And I've been just kind of looking at that and studying it. And I'm beginning to see this thing that a lot of times we as Christians have had this idea that when that happens or when that comes about, that we kind of got this idea that there's going to be this demonic figure that's going to be standing there. And he's going to have his hand on everybody and force them to take the mark. But guys, that ain't the way it's going to happen. That's not the way it's going to happen. I believe the same subtlety that was used in the Garden of Eden, the same thing that Paul was talking about, I'm concerned about your thoughts. I'm concerned about what's going on up here. Paul didn't say I'm concerned about what's going on in here. He said I'm concerned about what's going on up here. That you're allowing your thoughts to be led astray. And I see that in our world today, that the deception is so subtle. And I worry most about the younger generation about the millennials, the generation from, from uh, 20 years old up to about 40 or 45 years old. I worry about that generation. Why? Because they're so accustomed to a phone in their hand. They're so accustomed to pressing a button. And they're so accustomed to putting the phone out over a reader and paying for something in a second. And so many times, so many churches are not saying anything about deception. 
And I believe today, and and I believe that this whole time of fasting, this whole time that we've been consecrating ourselves to God, I believe that God is calling this church to sound the alarm. It's time to recognize who you are in Christ. Listen, the Bible says, James chapter 1 says this. Somebody got the time. I'm sorry. Okay. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. All right? Notice that word desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Notice this. Sin begins with an evil desire. Now, just because I'm born again doesn't mean that I can't sin. Just because I'm a born-again believer doesn't mean that I can't allow an evil desire to take birth in my life. All right? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Lured and enticed. Why would the enemy have to lure or entice me to sin? Because he has to lure you and entice you. It's kind of like it's kind of like holding a piece of candy out or or or, or a handful of feed to an animal. I used to have to get the cows in in the evening time. And I'll tell you a better, better, better example today. It's, Jude's got a chicken. Them, them chickens that, that listen to me, they're my chickens. The ones that, that don't listen, they're Judy's chickens. And Judy's got uh, some chickens. And we got 11 chickens. There's one chicken, one hen that she's going to mess around because I'll go down there to shut them up in the evening. And that one hen, she's going to mess around. The rest of them will be up on the roost. She's going to be out in the yard pecking around. And I told you this evening because I was standing at the door because I know that when I walk out the door, she's going to go crazy. I mean, it's like, it's like I took a stick and beat her. And she's going to go crazy and be running all over the place. And I'm going to have to stand there and let her get back close to the house so that I can shoo her in there. All right? She's just a crazy chicken. But she lays eggs, and as long as she's laying eggs, she can survive. All right? But sometimes you have to take a little feed and entice Show a little feed, and you can lure them in. 
Why does the enemy have to lure and entice us? Because of who lives inside of us. Because he that lives inside of me is saying, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go there. You don't need to listen to that. You don't need to watch that. But what is the luring? Satan is dangling the candy. Satan is dangling that little piece of candy. Don't this look good? Don't this sound good? And he's luring and enticing. So sin begins with an evil desire. I see something. My mind begins to dwell on it and focus on it. And instead of bringing that thought into captivity to the Spirit of God, I allow that thought to stay in my mind. The whole time, the enemy's dangling the candy. I could say, I rebuke that thought. I cast that thought down in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind, and I can move on. But I entertain that thought. Sin begins with an evil desire or a temptation that enters into the mind that is not dealt with. And what the luring and the enticing does is it is a weakening of your will. Remember, your soul is your mind, will, and emotion. So what the enemy does is lure us with something that looks good, and that lure and that enticement weakens our will. Our, my mind is the thinking part, and my will is the doing part. All right? And so once that thinking part is fully engaged with this desire, then my will begins to kick in because my will is being moved and, and motivated by what my mind is saying. And so my will becomes weak, and I follow what my mind is saying. And as a result of that, sin is born, and it produces death. All right? So real quickly, how do you deal with your mind? How, how do you deal with your mind when these thoughts come, when these thoughts bombard you, when this, these, these things that you know are not godly rise up in your mind? When anger, when frustrations, things like that rise up in your mind, how do you deal with that? The Bible says in Isaiah 26.3, and I'm going to go pretty fast, in Isaiah 26.3, the Bible says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Notice there again, Isaiah didn't prophesy that God would keep me in perfect peace because my spirit stays on him. He said, God keeps me in perfect peace 
because my mind stays on him. All right? That word stayed in verse 3 of chapter 26 means it means to, to maintain position, but it also goes a little bit farther, and it says it, it is a reflex motion. In other words, say it like this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind automatically stays on you. It is a reflex. It's like, it's like when somebody comes up behind you and punches you in, in the ribs, a reflex. It's not something that you have to think about. It's not something that you have to consider, but it is something that is automatic. You see, that goes a little bit deeper than just saying my mind is on God all day, all right? That is saying that when the enemy comes to try to rob you of your peace, that I can maintain perfect peace because my mind automatically, my, my mind is like a, an alarm system. How many of you got those ring doorbells? Nobody. All right. Bad example. Okay. All right. <laughs> but but we've, got, we've got those ring doorbells and got one in the office, got one in the house. And, and every time somebody walks in the field of that vision of that doorbell, just like that, sends an alarm. And it lets, and it lets us see on our phone who has come or what has come into that field of motion. When your mind is auto, has that automatic reflex, every time the enemy comes and tries to rob you of your peace, that spiritual alarm will go off. It'll sound, and you will, your mind will automatically catch the Word of God and cast that thing down. Boy, we could stay there for a minute. Listen. Here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me this, morning, this, this afternoon as I was reading. And take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. This is scriptures that we've talked about a little bit before, but I want to draw your attention to something. The Holy Spirit spoke to me this, this afternoon and said, The set of the sail determines direction and destination. Now, I don't know where sailboat ideas came, but you know what the set of a sail is. The set of a sail is when uh, a person is out on a sailboat and they set their sail in a, in a certain manner to catch the wind, and the way that sail is set, it will determine the direction and the destination of that boat. If the sail is not set, the boat will remain still. But once that sail is set, it determines direction and destination. In Romans 8, verse 5, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh, and when you see that word flesh, it is those that live according to the soulish nature, the old nature, being led by the things of the flesh, those who live according to the flesh 
Notice this. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. Listen, if you live under the control of the flesh, that's where your mind is going to set. If you live under the control of what this flesh wants and strive to satisfy the appetites of your flesh, I'm going to dig around your flower bed. If you spend more time on Facebook than you do in his book, then that is where your mind is going to set. All right? So those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Man, that brings it home pretty plainly. That what I set my mind on. Listen, I've got problems. I've got issues going on in, in my life. I've got struggles that, that, that we face every day. Judy and I have challenges in our marriage. We have challenges in our, in our family with our children. All of us do. If you don't, then come up here because I missed a revelation somewhere, all right? But we all have those battles. We all have issues with our bodies. Author and, and the other one and all that, arthritis and all that stuff. Bert, bursitis. But we all have those issues. We all have things that, that cause our minds to struggle and all that. As Christians, we all go through battles. We all go through things that we wonder, are we ever going to come out on the other side? All of us deal with that. But listen, there's a place there where we make the choice. I will either set my mind on what I'm going through. I will either set my mind on the oppression that I'm dealing with. I will either set my mind on this pain in my back, or I will either set my mind on the rebellion of a child, or I will either set my mind on something else, and I will worry and stress and fret over it and all of that because where I set my mind is going to determine my destination and my direction. I've got that choice. Or I can set my mind on the things of the Spirit that says he will keep me in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord, who said he will never leave me nor forsake me, who said he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. My mind is set on I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. 
My mind will set on Isaiah 54 where it says, No weapon formed against me will prosper, and every tongue that rises up against me in judgment thou will condemn. This is the heritage of those who belong to the Lord. I will set my mind on the word of God that says in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And where I set my mind is going to determine my direction and my destination. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, because what is going on around you, the rebellion of your children, the breakdown of your body, the struggles that you're going through, the battles that you're facing with your family, on the job or wherever, listen, it doesn't matter how bad that is. It is not affecting the spirit inside of you. As a matter of fact, the spirit inside of you is screaming out. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're paying attention to the wrong thing. Look to me because I've got the answer that you need. I sense it's it's about that time. Romans 6 and verse 16 says this. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Notice that. You You can yield yourselves to Obey the flesh. And we're going to get into how yielding to the flesh as a Christian, how it will affect you, how, how it will, will cause death in you. But you've got a choice. Notice what he said. You can, you can yield yourselves uh, Whatever you yield yourself to, that's what you become a servant of. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? See, the drug addict wasn't born a drug addict. But they became a drug addict because they yielded themselves to maybe one shot. And now they're uh, addicted. The alcoholic the same way. You see what you yield yourself to. What you yield your mind to. What you yield your mind to. Empowers your will to follow. And your emotions get caught up in it. And you become a servant to what you've yielded to. Some of y'all might be fasting coffee or something. And you didn't really realize what kind of servant you was to coffee until you turned the coffee pot off. Katie back there said, there he goes, Ryan again, talking about the coffee. We're not coming in here no more. (laughs) No. 
but what you become a servant to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Listen to this, and I'm closing, I promise. 3 John 1 verse 2 says this, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Notice that. Beloved, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Even as thy soul prospers. Not as your spirit prospers but as your soul prospers. How can my soul prosper? When I allow my spirit to move my mind, to move my will, and to carry my emotions. That's when I can walk in the blessing. That's when I can walk in the prosperity that God wants me to walk in and experience even the health. Because a big portion of our sicknesses stay with us because of what goes on in our mind. Mm, I got to stop. I got to stop. So pay attention to your mind. Pay attention to what's going on in your mind. Shut the world out and say, Lord, I want you to do a work in my mind. And we didn't have time tonight, but perhaps next Wednesday night, I want to we're going to talk more about this because I want to I want to give you some understanding that will help you on on how do I deal with my mind. What what do I as a Christian what do I do to bring my mind in line with what God wants to do in my life. All right. All right. Anybody got any special prayer? request tonight. Okay. You mean soda? All right. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Also, I talked, uh, some of you might have got the text yesterday about Miss Sarah Adams. Um, 
uh, I talked with her this evening, and um, she was same old Miss Sarah. She said, I'm sitting at the hospital waiting on them to release me. I'm going home. Um, she said that um, the doctor said she had all the symptoms of a stroke, um, but he didn't, he didn't know why. He said it, it's almost like it just stopped. It was moving, and it just stopped. So uh, so she was, she was doing good, feeling good, and uh, so just keep her in your prayers. Um, and also, Brother Terry Steele, and keep him in your prayers. And uh, Johnny Klein and Sue Klein, keep them in your prayers as well. Um, Rhonda Baggett and Jeremy Baggett. Jeremy came home today, so we just want to keep him in your prayers as well. All right. Also, uh, Brother Larry Johnson, Miss Edna, uh, and and I would encourage um, some of you ladies, if you can, uh, just to drop by and, and see Miss Edna. Uh, she's she's really in bad shape, and um, it's hard for her to communicate. She's still up, moving around, and, and all that. But um, she recognizes. She knows. She knows everything. She just has trouble communicating. So I would, if you can. Be a blessing to uh, both her and Larry if you could go by and uh, just say hello or something like that. So, all right. Anybody else? Any more special needs? All right. All right. If you will stand with us uh, tonight and. We're going to take these needs to the Lord. Also, I want to pray for our Sunday morning service, and um, got some more people to baptize Sunday, so uh, we're just going to keep filling that baptistry up, and uh, and till uh, till God says that's enough. But uh, all right, let's let's take these needs to the Lord. You can just agree with me as I call their names out. Father, we come tonight. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful tonight for the blessing. God, just to think, Father, it's, it's even hard sometimes to comprehend that, Father, that you would come and dwell in us. You said if any man loved you, that you and the Father would come and that you would make your abode in them. Father, we're grateful tonight. We're thankful tonight, Lord Jesus, that you are the vine, the Father is the husbandman, and that we can be called the branches. Lord, that we can draw from the same strength, the same power that the vine has, the branches also possess, Father. Lord, we're thankful tonight. God, thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you said you would come and you would live with us and abide with us. Father, thank you for the power that we possess. Father, your word says in Ephesians, Lord, that, that we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. God, we're grateful tonight. God, that we're so blessed. 
and so loved by you. And, Father, we come tonight and we pray, Father, over these needs. We pray for Denise Odom, Lord. Father, you see, Father, what's going on with her hearing. I pray that you would touch her tonight. Pray for uh, Mr. Billy, God, that works with Kent. Lord, that you just continue to heal his body. Sister Darlene, God, with the unspoken request, Lord, minister in that situation. Pray for Sister Faye's brother-in-law and grandson, Father. God, that the infection in, in this child's stomach, God, that you would remove it, God. Let it dry up in the name of Jesus. Mr. Don Smith, we, we pray for him tonight. We pray for uh, the Mike Reynolds family. Lord, tonight, God, that's dealing with the loss of a husband, a father, friend, God. We just pray, Father, for that family, that, that God, that you would bring comfort and peace that only you can do, Father. Pray for Kendall tonight, Lord. You see what's going on in his body, that you would touch him. Father, we thank you for the report that we've heard from Miss Sarah Adams. God, how you've blessed her and how you've touched her, Father. Father, we pray for Terry Steele tonight, that you'd just continue to bring healing to his body. Pray for Brother Johnny and Sue Klein tonight, Lord, that, Father, you would just move and minister in his life. God, strengthen Miss Sue, Father. God, that's having to take care of him, Lord. Just encourage her and, and let her know, Father, that, God, that you are, you are there and you're strengthening her. We pray for Rhonda and, and Jeremy Baggett, Lord, that you would bless them, Father. God, I thank you for your healing power in their lives. Pray for Brother Larry. Sister Edna Johnson, Lord, that you'd minister, strengthen, and encourage them. And, Father, tonight, Lord, we pray for Sunday morning service. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are going to move. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to release your power, your anointing in this house on Sunday morning. Thank you that the lives will be changed, Father, because you come and reveal yourself to them. Bless us, Father. We thank you. We honor you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys. We love y'all. Thank you, Miss Joyce.